This morning, a special, uh, special opportunity um, to be able to sit down with uh, a spiritual father and mentor to so, so many. Um, my wife and we were just having a conversation a moment ago, and remember that we wouldn't even be here, Megan and I would not, and our family, we would not be here if it weren't for uh, Papa Don Fento, who is a mentor and a discipler of this church family, but he was also a mentor and discipler of our church family at our church back in Texas where we came from. And uh, when Don heard that we were looking to step out uh, um, and to lead a church, he called and said, would you guys be interested in listening and talking with um, a New River Fellowship? And God put the rest together, and uh, we've been here the last five years. It's been a blessing. But Don, is uh, uh, he gets to play father uh, figure to so many people in Nashville. Papa Don pastored Belmont Church in downtown Nashville for 25 years. Saw God do incredible, powerful things, people being saved and transformed and baptized, and it was a really powerful movement. And so therefore, uh, everybody basically calls him Papa Don, not Papa John's. That's the, that would be the pizza. This is Papa Don, father to Nashville, <laughs> uh, spiritual father to Nashville. After his time at Belmont, he came and established what was called Caleb Company at the Times, a ministry, just a movement really to help the Jewish people see Jesus as their Messiah and to step into life with him. And so uh, that uh, Caleb Company has now become Caleb Global. There's a significant movement among the Jewish people now, also all over the Middle East. Uh, Todd McDowell has preached for us many times. He's now the director of Caleb Global. We're so thankful to have relationship with these guys. They have so much insight and wisdom. Can you guys help me welcome this morning Papa Don Finto? All right. Um... Oh, I'm going to give you this. Oh. There you go. You take that. Okay. I'm going to take, I'm going to take this one. Yeah, good. Okay, good. Uh, thankful to have a chance just to, uh, to do some Q&A uh, and just a, a question and answer time. Um, before we just dive... We'll see how it works. Well, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, actually, we did this. I, I, just, I had told him, like, we did this. Actually, it was, I was looking at the calendar. It was actually Father's Day last year as well. So you're just our regular Father's Day guy. But, um, but we were having this conversation. I said it was one of my favorite mornings um, because of just how powerful it was. And I was like wishing I could take notes while I was trying to conduct the interview. So you guys take notes for me. Um, I, I, we, had, we just started this series called Our Father and we were unpacking the Lord's Prayer. And um, I'm, uh, I'm so interested in just your journey of getting to know God as Father. And you get to play, we've talked about you playing this role of spiritual father. Uh, but tell us, did, did you grow up in a godly family or did you have a godly father? And then, and then just from that, what were the key experiences or truths that kind of helped you know and walk with God as a father? That makes sense? That's a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a living example that we can become what we never had. <laughs> because um, I, I, my father left the family when I was two years old, and I never knew him. I mean, I, I never really knew him. I got acquainted with him when, he, when I was an adult. And the interesting thing is I was thinking about this. I mean, there was never any apology 
for having, I mean, I mean, he was married to the woman that he left my mother for and when I met him. And then, by the way, was already an invalid by the time I met him. And so I just drove up to his farmhouse and unexpected and knocked on the front door and his wife came to the door and she knew who I was and I carried him to the car and drove him around his farm. That was the first time I ever, because he had multiple sclerosis and was already an invalid. And then I visited a few times when he was in the nursing home, but, but, uh, but, uh, but not only, and so, so let me tell you, a big, huge word that I'm going to use all time, to all, all day today is forgive. Because, and it, this, is, this is for everybody in this room, no matter who it is, no matter, and nobody in this room had a perfect father because there aren't any down here. And so there are always things that we need to forgive our fathers for. And sometimes it's harder than others. And if, I, if we took a, you know, I, I would have an idea that if I ask how many of you had a really good, or, or really didn't have a really good father, that I would imagine that at least half the room would rise. Because in today's world, it's kind of unusual to have a really good godly father, when you, particularly when you just go all the way down. But uh, so one interesting thing that, that I thought of when I was talking about, when I was thinking about all this is, not only did he never apologize, but the first time I met him in our conversations, he said, your mother and I never should have married. Well, that was like a stab in my heart, because that meant I never should have existed. And so he was making excuse for having left my mother when, and three older sisters. He left, but the, the sisters were seven, nine, and 11. And, and let me see, I was two. Yeah, the sisters were seven, nine, and 11. And, but anyway, so it's huge to forgive. And I would also tell you that forgiveness doesn't just happen one time. That time when Peter asked, you know, how often do you forgive? And the Lord tells 70 times 7. And he wasn't talking about 70 times 7 people. He was talking about 70 times 7 keep forgiving the same person. So, so a lot of times when something is brought up, I mean, I was in a family gathering one time years ago with my three older sisters, and, and they began talking about the horror of our childhood because the, my dad had left and my mother died two years later. And we had, a, we had a good home with my grandparents. But anyway, they got to talking about my dad really abused physically, not sexually, my middle sister. I mean, just was unkind to her. And they started talking about that, and I finally had to say, gals, I can't go there because I can feel the poison being poured into my system because we're talking about this. I've forgiven him. We've forgiven them. We all have. Let's do it again, and we don't need to talk about it anymore. So anyway, I just I want to say again, that I'm living example of you can become what you never had. If you didn't have a good mother, you can be a good mother. If you didn't have a good father, you can be a good father. If you didn't, if you didn't have anybody around you that didn't know the Jesus, you can know Jesus. So anyway, that's that's the biggest thing I'd say. Amen. Um, what would be so you you talked a little bit about forgiveness? Give share some other just advice and counsel to someone that wants to walk so closely with God the Father, um, but they, they struggle. Maybe they struggle uh, to do so. Again, because they've wounded. You talk, just t- talked about forgiveness, but are there any uh, additional things that you might just say? What, is it, what does it look like just to walk with God as a Father? Maybe even rhythms that you do to just know God as Father. Yeah. Well, well we, all, we all have a perfect Father. 
We all have a perfect father. And, and we really have to play off of that. I mean, God the Father, he does everything right. He never made a single mistake. I mean, he knows how to love. He knows how to forgive. You know, he, I mean, imagine this. He calls us righteous. There's not a righteous person in this room, and yet he, oh, he calls us righteous because he took all our sins. I mean, he's, it's, 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 it's awesome. And so we, we need to play off of that, that God is our Father. So because I knew I needed that, and I needed to sense the fatherhood of God, and because I really, I never did have any, I never had anybody that really fathered me. I mean, my, we moved to my grandparents, but my granddad didn't know how to show affection. I mean, he had had 10 kids of his own, but he had left home when he was like 15. He, he wasn't well-fathered, and he didn't know how to well-father. So I followed him around everywhere on the farm, but, I, but he, I don't remember ever his grabbing me and hugging me. He just didn't know how to do that. And so what I had to do was I did stuff that I didn't think I'd ever tell anybody about. Um, for example, I was driving to school one day before there were bucket seats. I, was, I taught at Lipscomb for several years before I went to Belmont. And, and I just pushed all my stuff over to the side and said, Lord, scoot over and put your arm around me. Because I can remember, this is another thing, I can remember sitting in church, because we were a church family. My grandparents were a church family. And I, I was very active, as hyperactive child. And, and I can remember those sitting on the front row of the church, uh, at the church, little country church. And if a man that I esteemed put his arm around me and I, I could feel his hand on my shoulder, I would freeze. I mean, I would stay, I wouldn't wiggle a muscle because I was afraid if I wiggled the slightest little bit, he'd remove his arm. And I just needed to feel the touch of somebody. So, so what I did, I told God to scoot over and put his arm around me. Or there was one time, <laughs> there was one time I went into a room, I was actually at, the, at home all by myself, but I went into a room and pulled up an empty chair and sat it over there and started talking to God. Because I had to have the sins. There was another time when I went to the telephone and we had wall phones those days, I picked up the wall phone, put my hand on it, so the dial to him, and started talking to the Lord. I did, I, one time, I, was, I taught a class down the downtown Presbyterian Church for 20 years, and there was one day I was walking down to the class, and I was doing like this. I mean, I was, I was walking along like this. I was holding hands with the Lord. I needed to know. So I did all this stupid stuff, <laughs> but I wanted to feel, the, I wanted to get the feel that he really was there. And, and you know what? I do. I mean, I and 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 just learning to listen to him too. You know, just I, even now, I one of the things I'm trying to get better at is just stopping and listening to him. And, and it was it was funny. There was, I was really hyped the other day, and I stopped for a moment and said, "Oh, excuse me, Lord, I hadn't even asked you to kind of pull in on this." And he said. Calm down. <laughs> I mean, I know I didn't think of that, so it had to be the devil didn't do it. I know it had to be the Lord. And there was a, there was another time. There was another time I was by myself in the house, and I had the music, the worship music, cranked up so loud, and just walking around, loving the little loving, just loving the Lord. And and I said, I, I said to him, Oh Lord, I just feel so engrossed in your love and. 
if you've been waiting to tell me something that you need to correct me, I think I could handle it now. And, you know, I, and, and he said, I love you, Don. I was blown away. Again, I know I didn't think of that, and the devil sure didn't do it, so it had to be God. Well, I was double wiped out then. And after I just basked in that for a while, I stopped again, and I said, okay, I didn't know I needed that, but, whew, yeah, okay, now I am ready, Lord. You need to tell me something? You need to correct me on something? I couldn't get him to say anything to me that day except I love you. So, I mean, I, I, so I just learning to listen to him, yeah. <laughs> powerful. Um, I want to just shift from uh, receiving the heart and love of the Father to um, you certainly have been one of the greatest examples of what it means to be a spiritual father. Um, you certainly have played that in our lives. You've played that in the life of the church we came from, certainly here. Uh, what was your process of, um, as you didn't have an earthly father, but then the Lord showed you he's your good father, but then how did you move towards becoming that mentor and spiritual father to others? What was that process of learning to be that yeah. for others? Well, I mean, I, I said I never really had a, you know, I never had a father figure that took that much interest in me. But somehow, and I mean, this, this is probably unusual, but somehow... The bad stuff that I was, I, one of the things I didn't mention to you is that became a part of my testimony several years ago when I finally said something publicly about it. But I was sexually molested by a preacher cousin, of all things. That, I mean, he was, he was a lay preacher. He never held, had a congregation, but, but he preached some. And, 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 later, and, and later just obviously went totally into that lifestyle. And, okay, I mean... I'm not proud of this, but he he worked at the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport and one day picked up two boys and took them home with him. They robbed him and killed him. That's what happened to him. So the, the fellow that was my molester. But, I mean, that was a huge forgive. That was a huge forgive because it messed me up big time and it took me years to get my mind cleared from that stuff and the pornography I was exposed to and all that kind of stuff. Because I wanted his attention, but I, but I knew the attention was even wrong, you know. So I was, I mean, anyway. So, uh, but having said all that, but I, was a, I was always attracted to men that were godly men. That, that I mean, even uh, my, I, had, I had seven living uncles. And there were a couple of them that, Really, again, it was a bit of a distance. They would put their arms around me sometimes. But at the same time, they were, I esteemed them because I could see, and, I, and I'll tell you something. I was extremely attracted to men who were really good with their kids. I mean, who I, I, I would stare at. There was one time, I still remember from the, being on the farm, and some cousins came to visit us, and one of the cousins was about my age, and we played together outside. And then he ran into the living room and jumped into the arms of his dad. And I still remember just the ache that was in my heart because I didn't have anybody I could go jump in their arms like that. But I was attracted to that. And, and I, even, I remember as a kid, 
we had these gospel meetings in the summer. And I was attracted to the preachers because I saw them as somebody that was kind of above the, above the normal warp, you know. But it could be even, a, I mean, in college, I mean, I, I, was, I was attracted to professors or somebody like that, that that seemed to have it together and that were loving for people. But I was, I was like this if I thought there was some kind of fake, if I thought they were saying something in class that they weren't really living. I mean, I didn't want to have anything to do with them, didn't want to take their classes or anything. But so, I mean, but, but that's, and then my, um, my and, and I think that later, when I was more mature, and then that later became, I was, I was attracted to, and not just attracted to, but I, I was befriended by godly men. So it was godly peers. When I, when I went to Belmont, I mean, it was, it was godly peers, a couple of men particularly that I really admired, one of my close friends. The man who took me to Israel the first time was a very close friend. I mean, and, and he had a close family, a godly family, all that. So I was connected with men that were godly men and that were godly men to their families. And I was also huge challenged as a result of all that to be the kind of godly father. I mean, I had, I got some, couple of Father's Day message from my three kids today that blew me away. I mean, just the memory of things. And, and one of the, I remember when, uh, when son David was talking to Bob Eagle, whom you know, in Abilene, Texas one day, and I overheard him say, I never had a father wound. That was the best, that, that must have been the best compliment I ever heard in my life. I just overheard it. In other words, he, he felt loved all of his life. And, and that, that, that was huge for me, just that kind of thing. And then, and then I think later, because through all of this, I got such a pastor's heart, such a shepherding heart. I, I was interested in people that had had hard times. I was, I mean, okay, I've, I taught a re, I mean, there were one of the life-defining moments of my life was in Florida years ago, and I may have told some of you this, but but anyway, I was uh, we were at a youth retreat, had over 400 people there, and there was a young man, young pastor that gave his that, that spoke in the evening, and I spoke in the mornings at this big campsite in Florida, and I'm sitting over on the side listening to him, and he told his testimony on the first evening of just how he was reared in a very godly home, godly parents. He did some rebelling in his teen years, but he came back to the Lord, and now he was a young pastor. And, and I'm sitting over there just basking in who he is and how God shepherded him and all that kind of thing. But then when he got through, the Holy Spirit started moving on me, and I knew that if I didn't get away from there, I'd go and fall apart in front of everybody because something was happening inside of me. And I, and I knew it was God, but I didn't know what it was, so I got up and left and went to the darkest place I could find in the campsite. And I mean, I just let go. And I shook, I sobbed, I wept, I wailed. I, I didn't know what was happening to me. I mean, I just, I, but I was just totally falling apart. And, and I knew it was somehow God. And so I just kept on going and I'd start to stop. And so, no, you're not through yet. And then finally, when I got to a place where I could talk, I said, God, what is this? Is this self-pity? Because I didn't have that kind of rearing. 
And he said, no, it's gratitude because I've made you whole. Now, I want you to get up and tell your testimony in the morning because there are more kids that can relate to you than related to him. It's the first time I'd ever told about the sexual molestation, and I was probably close to 50. But I'd never told, I, I don't know, I'm even sure I'd told Martha. I was just so ashamed of it. I didn't want to talk about it. But, and kids started coming just, I mean, this girl had been, had been molested. And this, well, I never forget the one 17-year-old kid that came up and started talking to me. And he, he never would know who his father was because his mother was a prostitute. And she had had so many men, he would never know who his father was. I wanted to put him in my back pocket and take him home, you know. But, but anyway, so, so I, I began to be attracted to younger men to pour into them and to father them, and particularly men that hadn't been well-fathered. And, and, and I think some of, that, some of that then really had its heyday in the, in the Jesus movement. You know, because there were just so many hippies that turned to, turned to Jesus freaks. We might have one or two in the room, by the way. And uh, <laughs> so, I mean, it was, a, it was a hilariously good time. Yeah. But, the, you know, the, and one other thing, too, when I was talking about learning to listen to the Lord, uh, it's, uh, there's a, in the Charisma magazine, I mean, this, this kind of thing still to this day challenges me. In the last Charisma magazine, there's a little article by a man named Ben Williams, and he was talking about being an introvert, but he had such a love for the Lord that he just kept asking the Lord to give him ways to talk to people about Jesus. And it was, it was so interesting. It, was, it really did challenge me. But he, was, he told about one time he was working at a store, and if he saw somebody that he thought needed prayer, he would figure out a reason to help them take stuff to the car so he could pray for them. And there was one lady that was in a wheelchair. No, not a wheelchair, a walker. And, and so he thought, okay, I've got to take her. I've got to help her. So he figured out a way to help her. And so when he got to the car, he said, uh, and I love the way he said it, he got the car and he said, could I pray for you sometimes when I pray for people, they get healed. That's a, I mean, hey, that's yours. You can have it. You know, in other words, you don't have to pray for somebody and say, now people get healed. For that. No, 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 no. I mean, just, just sort of, you know, sometimes when I pray for people, they get healed. Could I pray for you? And so she's, oh, sure, you know, why not? But she wasn't impressed. But a month later, she come twirling into his place and said, I was in an automobile access 20 years ago, and I had been in pain for 20 years. And the day you prayed for me, I've never used my walker since. I'm not in pain. Well, that kind of stuff, I mean, that grabs me. And, 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 and I want more of it. And I want you to have more of it. That's the kind of thing we need to do. So, so I'm living in this, and I had two window washers at my place. And I came home, and I'm just in a good mood, and I just started kind of joking around with them and said, man, sure is nice to come home and find people washing your windows, and anyway, just was joking around with them, and, but then they started to leave, and all of a sudden, you know, okay, gotcha, and so I said, hey, brothers, you, got, you don't have anything to, you need prayer for today, and I could tell one of them 
I could see his expression of his face that he did, but he didn't say it. And I said, All right, do you know, do you all know Jesus? And they, they said yes. And of course, I don't know if they did or not, but they said yes. And so I went ahead and prayed for him, and they went to the car. That guy came back in, and he said, my wife had a cyst removed, and we don't know whether it's malignant or not. So I prayed for him, and then I gave him my email, and I said, I want you to send me a, send, send me a note when you get the good report. And you know what? I got the note the next day. Got a good report. The cyst, no, no malignancy. So I'm on a... I'm on a I'm on a learning curve. Come on, join me. Let's go. Uh, as you were talking, it just reminded me of this scripture, and I, we didn't put this in our notes, but I just wanted to ask you this. What, I think Paul says to the Corinthian church, uh, uh, there are many spiritual guides, but not many spiritual fathers. Could you maybe just delineate between what does it mean to be a spiritual guide versus being a spiritual father? Off the top of your head. No, so, I mean, as... A spiritual guy, a spiritual father versus a spiritual guide. guide that's yeah. Right. Well, I mean, a father. Well, just think what a father does. I mean, and, and see, everybody in the room is an encourager, and and that that's one of your. I mean, because it's a spirit. It means it's a gift, and I mean, you parents that are in the room right now, I challenge you to tell your children more of what they're doing right than always telling them what they're doing wrong. I mean, and if you're having a hard time, find something. Because they go through seasons, sometimes you may not be able to find anything to say, but come on, find something. <laughs> Maybe they're, anyway, I don't need to go there. <laughs> but I think, uh, I mean, it's, it's so funny. I've, I took a a test in Houston, Texas one time called, called a personalysis test. And it tells you, you know, about where your, where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are. And the lady that interpreted my test said, uh, but on, and one, of the, one of the areas was administration. And she said, by the time you brush your teeth in the morning, you've used up all your administrative skills. <laughs> That was one of the best things I ever heard because I knew that I had to help people around me that had some administrative skills. I don't try to administer anything. I, did, I get people around me to do. But on the other hand, when I, you know, there are those motivational gifts in Romans 12. And I don't even know how I found this out, but all of a sudden I realized that of all of them, the, the strongest thing that's inside of me because of my childhood probably was to be an encourager. And so I remember the Wednesday night that I walked into Belmont Church building and, the, you know, just the, the people everywhere. But I remember, I know now that I'm an encourager. That's what I am. And so, I mean, I remember walking down the aisle just touching people, you know, just. And it may, because what it does is when you touch somebody in the right way, it means I know you're there. Or, you know, just put your arm around them briefly as you, as you go by them. Or look into their eyes and say, but I just want you to, so, I mean, to me, that's, that's fatherly. Fatherly is loving people in the right way. I mean, just embracing them in the right way. They're never, they're, so that they feel important. They feel like they have something. So, yeah. 
So um, can you just share, like, how do you handle days? I think there are, it, it's easy to go, well, I'm still being perfected, so I don't, it, it's hard for me to think I could be a spiritual father because my journey's not complete. I'm still growing. I haven't figured it all out. And I think a lot of times there's a tendency to go, well, because I'm still growing, uh, I can't be a spiritual father. What, what would you say? How do you handle those days where you're not perfect and you fall short? What would your advice be or what would your counsel be to someone in terms of uh, how can you continue to be a spiritual father when you don't have it all figured out? Because no father has it all figured out. I mean, we're, we're all flawed. I still am. We all are. But I mean, even, I would just challenge even young, I mean, of course, and, and when we say spiritual fathers, there's a, there's a, obviously, their spiritual mothers is just the opposite. I mean, it's just the same, same kind of situation. But I would say that there is, even for young men, there is a fathering type role that you play with other young men who are just, who are gradually becoming alert to their walk in the Lord or something. That's a fatherly kind of thing that you grab. You don't have to be a physical father to be a father in the faith. You don't have to be a spiritual mother to be a mother in the faith. So I think it's just, it's, it's really, it's, it's peer to peer, but it's still that same kind of thing. It's just, see, see, the thing that Jesus did, and what I realize now is that he saw more in people than they saw in themselves. And that's what I want to do. I want to see in you more than you see. And I want to call, call you to more than you have been, to, to, to step up to more than you are. That's what Jesus, I mean, just think of all the people that he, I mean, he saw more in this, in Mary Magdalene, for example. That, and he transformed her life because he saw so much more in it. And I, and I might have to say, you know, I, told, I mean, I wasn't fathered. Wasn't, I wasn't grandfathered. But I was well-grandmothered. And, and I really believe my grandmother was the lifesaver of my life because of the way she loved me. And, the, and she knew that I was fatherless. She knew that my granddad didn't show affection. I mean, she knew that. I mean, his boys could be away for two or three months and come home and he'd shake hands with them. You know, he just didn't know how to show affection. He was a good man. But he just, I mean, he was flawed. But she, on the other hand, was a nurturer. And when I would do something, I mean, I, I could tell you about the time I came in at 2 o'clock in the morning, first time and only time in my life. I was, I think, 16 out of the farm. And I'd been to Big Spring, which was 40 miles away, and they had beers there. And, and, you, and young people could buy beer in those days. And they bought beer, so I bought one. And... I, I, I guess I drank it. I can't imagine how I did, but anyway. <laughs> but, I, but I learned how to smoke real early because all my uncles smoked except one. I figured if you, you know, I needed to learn early, so, so I did. And, but I, anyway, anyway, I came home with the farm and real late, 2 o'clock in the morning, and, and I had the car turned at the mailbox about a quarter of a mile away so it wouldn't light up the farmhouse. And then I walked home and walked in the back door. My room was back there. My sisters had all were all already left home by then. And I 
took my clothes off outside, slipped in the bed, and pretended I'd been there for hours. But the bathroom was right next to my bedroom, and my grandmother always had to go to the bathroom right after I came home, no matter what time it was. And, and she stopped by my room, and she said, kind of late, isn't it? I said, yes, ma'am. Appropriate, you know, you always say yes, ma'am. And she said, well, I don't, uh, I'm not going to look at the clock because uh, your granddad's going to want to know what time you came in, and I don't want to know, but don't ever come in this late again. And you know what? I didn't. And then she said, oh, those boys sure must have been smoking. You smell like smoke yourself. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she walked on down the hall. And on her deathbed, my sister and I were recounting some of those things. And I told her about that night. And I said, Mom, you knew I'd been smoking. She said, no, I didn't. I didn't think you would. I mean, here, the thing is, when, when I do something stupid, she would say, that's not who you really are. And parents take note of that. Grandparents take note of that. I mean, when, when your child or somebody or even an associate does something stupid, your response is, you know what? That's not really who you are. There's a deeper godliness inside of you. You don't have to say all that. Anyway, that's part Amen. of it. <laughs> Amen. Um, I just want, we have just a few minutes left. I, I want to just pivot. Um, uh, one of the things that you mentored us and things we got to grow in, certainly in our time in, in Texas, but... Um, uh, really something that I think you've brought to the wider body and gotten to be kind of a father in this movement is just helping uh, the church uh, understand God's heart for his, the Jewish people, his original covenant people. And, and so can you just share this, the biblical foundation for uh, the call for the Gentile church to help Israel, and help the Jewish people know Jesus as their Messiah? You just kind of unpack that for us. I imagine most people, it's, it's something unique that we get to carry as a church, but, uh, and we carry it because uh, of so much of what you have done, and, but we'd lo- I'd love for you just to unpack that for us. And, and I, I brought some, I, I wrote a book, and I can tell you why I wrote it, uh, but anyway, the, yeah. Uh, and actually, the first, the first edition came out in 2001. This, this is the better edition because it has a response. David McQueen, for example, writes a, writes a response to the second chapter on Greater Riches World Revival. And I brought some out here that some of you can have, and I'll bring more over sometime if you want to. But I'd love, anybody who would really read it, I'd, I'd love for you to read it and just pass it on because the reason I wrote it is because I saw two things that, that I didn't see anybody else writing at the time I wrote that. I still don't know of anybody else that wrote that. Uh, well, no, Stan Stepinski's written one that's, very similar in, in what it's saying. But the reason I wrote this is because I saw two things biblically, and I didn't hear anybody else saying that. And, okay, what happened? Let me just go ahead and tell you. What happened was that during the Jesus movement, and which happened from 67 on, for 18 centuries, there were basically no Jewish people that came to faith. I mean, almost none. And when they did, both the church and the synagogue said, you're not Jewish anymore. So they joined the church, and their descendants became Gentiles. So there, were no, there was no Jewish expression of faith for 18 centuries. But in 1967, there was a switch flipped in the heavenlies when Israel took Jerusalem, and the, G, the hippies 
had a disproportionate number of Jewish people that were hippies, and they started coming to faith in Jesus. And they were saying, wait a minute, we're Jewish. You're grafted into us. We're not grafted into you. Why do we have to act like you? This is our Messiah. And so why can't we still circumcise our sons and bar mitzvah our sons and bat mitzvah our daughters and celebrate the feast and all of that? Why not? And so I had to start meeting with them, and that's the product was this book. So what I saw in Scripture was two things, and I'm passionate about it. One is, it is the prophetic time for Jewish people to come to faith. And I suspect that there are half a million Jewish people that have already come to faith. I think that, that I saw in the Jesus movement the, the first fruits of the final harvest of the Jewish people. It's time prophetically. I can, I can prove it to you biblically. I can, if you've got a pencil and paper, I'll give you some scriptures to look up and you find it yourself. But, and the second thing is, when Jewish people start coming to faith, it, it is a prophetic release of revival all over the world. And so that, and that's the two reasons I wrote this book. That it's the time for Jewish people to come to faith prophetically, and when they come to faith, it releases revival all over the world. And, and here are some of the scriptures that, I mean, that I would point to. The one that, I, that grabbed me first was Isaiah 6, where Isaiah hears a voice saying, whom shall I send? And he says, send me. And, and the Lord says, okay, here's your assignment. Go tell Israel that her heart's going to be hardened and her ears closed. And What? you want me to do that? I don't think he had volunteered if he had known that he was going to get that assignment. Go tell the nation of Israel that her heart's going to be closed and her eyes, eyes and ears closed. And so Isaiah says, how long? And God answers him by saying, as long as the houses are deserted and the fields ruined and everything is deserted. Well, it was that way for 18 centuries. But in the latter part of the 19th century, they started going back to the land. Today, the land is not deserted. The houses are not. Therefore, it's time for Jewish people to come to faith. And that's why they've started coming. Hosea 3, 4, and 5 says, Israel don't have a king for many years. They haven't had one since 586 B.C. when Zedekiah was taken to Babylon and his eyes put out. They won't have a sacrifice for many years. They haven't had one since 70 A.D. when the temple was destroyed. Afterward, they, will re they, Israel, will return trembling to the Lord and his blessing in the last days. Hello? That's a promise we're supposed to be praying. Or Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel says, I'm going to gather you back from all the countries where you've been gathered. It's, been ha it's happening. And I'm going to take out of you a heart of stone. I'm going to put in you a heart of flesh. And I'm going to put my spirit in you. And I'm going to move you to do my will. So it's time for him to do that. So Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7 says, You who call upon the Lord, give yourselves no rest. Give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the whole world. Are you doing that? He told you to. He said, you, you give yourselves, you don't give yourselves any rest. And don't give him any rest until he's done what he was said he was going to do to bring, bring them back and bring them to the Lord. 
And I, I connect it, this to the widow and the unjust judge where the, the Lord compliments the widow for bothering the judge. And I think the Lord wants us to bother us about Israel's redemption because Romans eleven twelve says that if their transgression means riches for the world, in other words, the Jews didn't accept him and so the world got a chance, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, most everybody in this room is Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? In other words, when they start coming to the Lord, watch out what that does. Or, verse 15 says, if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, they, didn't, they rejected him and so, the, so he went to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So we're supposed to grab hold of that and pray amen. Okay. Good. Amen. <laughs> amen. We're actually out of time, but I did, I did just, just to, if you had just a couple of quick, um, how can, just, you even just mentioned it, appealing to the Lord, but is there any other practical ways we could just be helping this movement of helping Jewish people come to saving faith in Jesus? Well, um, one, Romans eleven eleven says we're supposed to make him jealous. Romans eleven thirty through 32 says that if it just is, as they were at one time disobedient, no, just as you were at one time disobedient have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient so that they too may receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. So we're supposed to show them mercy. And I, I would say, bless them. I would even, I mean, I personally believe that every one of us should have a portion of income toward Jewish toward Jewish evangelism. You know, just giving something toward people that are really evangelizing among the Jewish people. Not just any kind of Jewish ministry. Find out what they are. But when they are helping to people come to faith and pray for them and make friends of them, things like this. And because it really is happening. Let me, let me tell you one example before because this, is, this happened in, in Tennessee. This happened in Tennessee. There, are, there were some Hasidic rabbis that are here, and that's the curl down the side, the ultra-Orthodox. They're in Tennessee going through trauma care of some kind. And one of them was really beginning to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But he said, I just can't go there. It's too high a price. Okay, I can't do it. But by the way, Deanna Dolan, who's one of our gals that's, a, that's Palestinian and when she came to faith, her daddy said, if I ever see you again, I'll kill you. But she was able to pray for her dad right at the end of his life. But anyway, so she's, then she loves Jewish people. That's supernatural too. But she gave her testimony. And when she gave her testimony, the guy said, okay, that's it. I've got to do it. And so he, he now has come to faith. His name is Ari. And he's going to stay in the States according to the plan for another couple of months to get more grounded in his faith, but he's going back to Israel and he wants to stay in the Hasidic community as a believer. I would tell you, when I was there the other day, what I felt like was if there's a smoldering undercurrent all over Israel 
of just things that could break out at any time for this revival. I mean, one of, one of the things that's happening is there's a program called Shalana, which means ours, which is, gets tens of thousands of hits on the Internet, and it's, telling, it's giving the story of Jewish people, Hebrew speakers in Israel that have come to faith in Yeshua. And, and during the pandemic, they got all kinds of hits because people were bored and looking for anything. And it served that. And so anyway, there's all kinds of stuff going on where people are coming to faith. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, no, no. no. What? <laughs> no, no. Our whole thing, our, 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 I love our, our mission statement right now. I love it. I, I think it's right on. Our Caleb Global is to ignite revival in Israel, the Middle East, that's the Isaiah 19 highway that we didn't even talk about, but, but the Egyptians and the Assyrians coming to the Lord and promise. That's a promise thing, too. That's why we traveled to northern Iraq and the north and to Egypt and why we've got 17 people going over next week to just walk the streets and evangelize and connect with people and everything. Anyway, igniting revival in Israel, the Middle East, and the nations. That's what we're all about. That's what we're supposed to be about. So, amen. <laughs> amen. Good Lord. Amen. You guys stand. Um, I wanted to just say this. Thank you, Pop Don. I'm going to have you actually pray our benediction. So uh, he did bring several copies of, of his book. Uh, if you're just interested in this and, and we'll actually read, we're going to give it to you for free. You don't have to buy it. Just well, All we ask is that you just take it and actually read it and then give it away to someone else. Um, and so uh, it's really powerful, life-giving. We're looking forward to seeing God just continue. We, again, I love, I love that Caleb Global Vision because that's what we want to see. We see Jewish people. We want to see the Middle East. We want to see the Arab nations. We want to see the entire world coming to know Jesus and finding life. So I'm going to have Papa Don pray uh, the uh, benediction and close us out. You guys, let's, let's close our eyes. And if you want to, you put your hands out to receive. Uh, if, it, if you're comfortable, you don't have to do that. But we just love to receive uh, and put ourselves in that posture. And yeah, well, I always like to let you know, I mean, let everyone know there's some wouldn't that there's only one blessing scripturally, as far as I know, and I've never found another one, where that was personally worded by the Almighty himself. He gave this benediction and he said to Moses, give this to Aaron with which to bless all future generations of Israel. But since we're grafted in, it's ours too. And he said, when you do this, I will put my name on them. So that's, there's a huge blessing. So, so may the Lord, and, and you know it in English, but may the Lord bless you. He's the only one who can. And keep you. We all need kept. May the Lord make his face shine on you. Get close enough to him that you radiate. And be gracious to you, which means pour out power on you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Shalom. B'shem Yeshua, HaMashiach, 
Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. And the congregation said, Amen. 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 Blessings, God. Love y'all. We'll see you next week.